Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Penny C and I am recovered compulsive overeater by the grace of God. Today is Tuesday, July 16th, 2019 and this is a 7 a.m. recorded meeting. Today we are reading from the big book. We are in the chapter more about alcoholism on page 40. And we will be reading the third paragraph only that starts with, In This Frame of Mind. Today's readers are Rocky E. will be doing the 12 steps for us, and Chris G. will do the 12 traditions. The readers of the text are Marie J., Matthew F., and Dana M. The newcomer greeter, will be Kathy G, and the host for the second unrecorded hour will be Stacy K. The share IDs for yesterday, Monday, July 15th, are these. The 7 a.m. meeting, Eastern Time yesterday, 13,153-13153. And the 10 a.m. Eastern Time yesterday, 13,155-13155. This is the OA preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose is this. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Rocky E. to read the 12 steps for us. Good morning, Rocky. Good morning, Penny. Do you hear me? I do. Yeah. Wonderful. Okay. Good morning, visionaries. Rocky E. from New York, compulsive overeater. Happy to do this. Um, Here are the steps we took which which are suggested as a program of recovery. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, 
made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you for allowing me to do service. Thank you, Rocky E. And Chris G., will you read the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous for us? Sure. Thank you. Hi, this is Chris G. in Connecticut, and these are the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. Number one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God. He may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. 10, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and the other public media of and a public media of communication. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thanks, everyone. Have a great day. Thank you so much, Chris G. And now this is how our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly limited to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1, which will unmute you. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. 
In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book on page one on page excuse me, page forty in More About Alcoholism. And we're reading from just that one paragraph that starts with starts with <laughs> um, it's the third paragraph. Anyway, so um, Marie J. is going to start with with us off by reading that paragraph. Good morning, Marie. Good morning. This is Marie J., and I am a recovered compulsive reader in Colorado. In this frame of mind, I went about my business, and for a time all went well. I had no trouble refusing drinks, and I began to wonder if I had not been making too hard work of a simple matter. One day, I went to Washington to present some accounting evidence at a government, to a government bureau. I'd been out of town before during this particular dry spell, so there was nothing new about that. Physically, I felt fine. Neither did I have any pressing problems or worries. My business came off well. I was pleased and knew my partners would be too. It was the end of a perfect day, not a cloud on, a horizon, on the horizon. So um, this paragraph is for me about complacency, you know, and this is what leads to trouble and relapse. You know, I had, I wondered if I had not been making too hard of a simple matter. You know, the idea that, you know, in, in the earlier paragraph, Stratt is, is comparing himself to you, you know, my disease is not as bad as your disease and I got this and I can handle this problem. I've got self-will. I've got willpower, I've got self-knowledge. So he's armed with this and resting. He's, he's complacent. He's, I got this. And so, you know, what I found is that relying on my self-knowledge and, and willpower is really a dangerous proposition. And the more recovery that I have under my belt, the more diligent and rigorous that I have to be in order to maintain this recovery and keep this freedom. It gets different, but it, and it, it doesn't get harder. It just gets to be more important to not sit back and go, okay, I got this. And this, the rigor needs to be not in managing myself, not in this self-management idea, but in surrender, surrendering to this power. I have to continue to remember steps one, two, and three every single day that I'm not the power. I don't have the power. There is a power and I have to surrender to this power every single day, all day long because I'm a compulsive overeater and I don't have any power over that. And I don't have, I can't get complacent. And no matter how long I have been abstinent and recovered, self will will take me out every time. So, no, long, no, no matter what's going on for me, no matter where I am in my program, I always, every minute of the day, have to be in this power, asking this power to guide my life and asking my, this power to take care of me and show me the way and show me how to be of service. And this is also, you know, being of service in the, to the power is about being in service to love, to other people, the people in my life, to the people in my program, being in service to love. That's all I need to do is how would the power be? 
And so my work one day at a time on day one and on day 10,000 is exactly the same. It's to surrender to this power and build a practice of staying connected and being of service, staying connected in the community, staying connected in my life, staying connected with my family and the people I work with and the people I serve in my business, and just staying in practice one day at a time. Today is day one for me, even though I've been recovered for quite a while now. Today is day one. I practice steps one through three, remembering that I'm not the power and that I must surrender to the power so I don't become complacent and just get taken out like that. Thanks. I pass. Thank you, Marie J. And now, before I take uh, names for people who would like to share, um, if you haven't shared in the last day or two on the recorded meeting, then we invite you to share now. There are no requirements, no abstinence requirements for sharing on this topic. Who would like to share? Nancy P. Melissa C. Melissa C. And I want to hear the other two before Melissa, please. Ida. Ida. Irene B. Irene. Tina S. Nancy S. Mary S. Mary. Nancy Mary B. What? Mary B. Nancy Nina S. S. Hannah L. Okay, let's Nancy. let's let's stop for a minute because two people are coming in together very often this morning. Um, I have. Is there an Ida? That that was Irene B. Irene, okay, Irene and Melissa, and Nancy P. Yeah. Nancy P. Is there a Nancy S. also? No, the first one was Nancy P. Is in Tom. Nancy T. And Nancy and P. And Nancy P. Okay, I think I've got enough right now. Let's see if this will work. Okay, let's do. Irene, and please give, if you, if you don't hear me say the initial of your last name, please say it when you share. Irene, Melissa, Nancy T, Mary, and Nancy P. Irene, get us started, please. Thank you so much for your service. I am Irene B, uh, recovered but not cured limit from Louisiana. This reading seems a little baffling. I mean, what's wrong with this guy? Everything's going right. What's he complaining about? I think that kind of um, describes the way this disease is, this baffling, cunning patient, powerful. And it just reminds us that we can't let our guard down. And to me, this complacency I have I've come up with a term to describe that complacency. I just go on automatic, where I am not present necessarily. I'm on automatic. And when I'm automatic, I'm on self-will. And when I'm on self-will, I'm quite destructive. And I have the best intentions for everything. Oh, my God, I have the best intentions. But my best 
thinking got me to a big, big mess that I thought that I would never come out of. But when I become present, when I reach out to God, when I remember to reach down inside and touch my soul and make a connection with my power, and I have to make a decision every day, don't go on automatic. Because that means I'm going to reach for something that I shouldn't, or I'm going to do something that I shouldn't, or I'm going to say something that I really shouldn't. So that's all the insight that I have for today. I can't go on automatic, and i got to stay plugged into my power. I can't take anything for granted because this disease is just, you don't know when it's going to snatch you. So you have to be on guard all the time. And even when things are doing going well, you enjoy it. Well, I enjoy it. And I'm going to savor it. I'm going to savor the moment. But I'm not going to be savoring them in complacency, but rather in deep, deep appreciation to God for the gift of things going my way. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Irene B. And next we're going to have Melissa, and she'll be followed by Nancy T. Melissa? Hi. Good morning. Thank you so much for your service this morning. It's Melissa C., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in New York, and I'm just going to start my timer. Um, You know, like, when I read this paragraph this morning, um, I found myself thinking, like, you know, like, I was thinking about yesterday's reading, like, this is why staying on guard is not a sufficient defense, because what am I supposed to guard myself from? You know, like, I understand, oh, bad times, maybe, but, like, am I supposed to guard myself from good days, too? Like, how, like, how would I even know, unless I'm working a program of recovery, that this is something I need to watch out for, that happiness and and not a cloud on a horizon is dangerous for me, you know. And I, I, like, remember, you know, periods of time when I really believed that, oh, my problem is that I sabotage my own happiness. And I've heard that before. Like, um, and that might be true, um, you know. And so I thought, oh, if I can just uncover why I don't think I deserve to be happy, you know, um, and and I can get at that, then I'm going to stop hurting myself with food. But, you know, if this was true for me, then the solution would have come, um, you know, from from analysis, from from therapy, and it, that it didn't for me. You know, like I, I, there's a part in the big book where it says like the alcoholic builds the structures up and then, you know, pulls it down upon himself. And I've actually come to realize that. It's not because I want to see the destruction. It's not that I want to see everything I build up destroyed. I I don't believe that that's true for me. It's that I'm sick and I can't help, you know. If I think about, like, making a big Jenga puzzle, you know, those puzzles, I can't help but pull out the piece that's going to destroy it. And that's the disease, you know, and that's why I cannot defend myself. I am not qualified to be the guard. I 
you know, um, the only solution is the spiritual solution. And, and this chapter, you know, more about alcoholism just keeps, for me, it kind of takes this list of all the things that I thought could be the solution, you know, and it, and it kind of crosses it off. Yep. Humiliation, that's not going to work. Nope. Pain, that's not going to work. Uh, you know, self-awareness, that's not going to work. Um, staying on guard, nope, that doesn't work either. And, and, and I think it was important for me to try every single one of those things so that I was willing, you know, and I remain willing because I believe today, today's a beautiful day for me. I have like a great, you know, a great event happening today and I could eat today just like I could eat on the worst day. And the only solution is a spiritual solution of which I stay close to. Thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Melissa C. And next is Nancy T., and she's going to be followed by Mary. Good morning, Nancy. Good morning, Penny. Thank you so much for your service this morning. Um, Nancy T., recovered compulsive reader in Lewiston, Idaho. This paragraph, oh, it reminded me I actually of a couple of different um, periods of time that I can fall into. And the first time, so this is talking about Fred before Fred recovered, before he worked the steps and and found the solution. And he knew he had some problems with alcohol, but um, he wouldn't, um, he was closed to the idea that he could be an alcoholic. And it reminds me of before I recovered, before I ever worked the steps. And I realized, you know, I'm 372 pounds. I think I have a problem, um, but I can do this. And so I would go on a diet. And I, then the diet, once I started the diet and I'd lose a few pounds, that's when I was in this, um, um, what this paragraph is describing. Things were going well. I'm on the top of the world. I got a new diet. Oh, I'm going to be skinny again. I'm already down five pounds. Life is good. Work's going well. And, um, you know, I kind of, that's what this paragraph reminds me of. Um, and then, but the other time I can fall into that. Well, and then that last, how long does that last? Well, until I decide that I'm doing so well and maybe I'm down 10 or 20 pounds now. So, ooh, maybe this little dessert with dinner wouldn't be so bad. Just kind of like we're going to read about tomorrow where Fred thought just a couple of cocktails um, with dinner wouldn't be so bad. I get that little thinking and then I'm off and running again. So that's, you know, that's kind of how I can liken my experience before recovery. But, you know, Marie J., when she shared this morning, alluded to this a little bit. This is the complacency I can also fall into being recovered if I'm not really careful. About a little over a year ago, I worked the steps for the first time exactly as written in the big book. And I had done it many different variations of the steps, but not exactly. And I, and I had an amazing spiritual experience, and I recovered. And I felt like this paragraph, everything was going well, life was good, work was good, the kids were good, my relationships were good, um, and I went along. However, I missed a very critical word in the steps. And then in step 11, it says to improve my conscious contact. I was not doing activities to grow spiritually. I was, and so I got complacent. And um, I, you know, eventually these little subtle thoughts started coming in. And it starts by not doing 10 steps and thinking, and a negative emotion or feeling will come up and I'll think, oh, I can handle it. I don't need to make a call. Um, or, and then once I start doing that, then my step 11 start being, oh, I'm in a hurry this morning. I'll just do a quick drive by with God. Well, those kinds of things are not improving my contact with God. In fact, they're, um, they're getting worse. They're going the wrong direction. 
and I ended up re- in relapse again. And I'm so grateful to be back and recovered again, because at that point, frankly, I thought maybe I had blown my chance. You know, maybe I only get one chance with this recovery thing. And I'm so grateful that's not true. And today I make sure every single day I'm doing something to grow spiritually, whether it's doing a 10 step, whether it's reaching out to be of service, whether it's working with a sponsee, um, whether it's extra prayer meditation time in the morning, whatever it be, I make sure. And so thank you so much. Love this paragraph this morning. And I love hearing all your voices this morning. Have a great day. Thank you, Nancy T. And next is going to be Mary. And after Mary is Nancy P. Good morning, Mary. Mary? Penny, was it Miriam J? I bet that's who it was. Go ahead, Miriam. <laughs> Good morning, Penny. Thank you for your service. I'm so grateful to be on this line today. This paragraph is what kept me in the food for so long. I just, you know, I got it when, you know, there were bad emotions. I was having a bad day and I, you know, I reached out for food to calm myself or to comfort myself. But on the good days, um, after long periods of abstinence, it was like, why does this keep happening? And it wasn't until, um, you know, I, I began to listen to this meeting every morning that I really began to understand the full nature of my disease and the, the solution. Um, this paragraph is just, it is absolutely the paragraph that describes what kept me in chains. And um, I'm so very, very grateful to be part of this group. And um, although I don't share often, I do listen every day. And I I feel like uh, this is my gift from my higher power to, um, to a better life. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Miriam J. And Nancy P., Hi, Penny. Thanks. Good morning. Thanks for letting me share. Yeah, this, um, so this whole chapter is really the second half of step one. So the second half of step one is, and that our lives were unmanageable. So this, all these stories, um, Jim, Fred, and the Jaywalker talk about drunk or sober, their lives are unmanageable unless they have a spiritual awakening. And, um, you know, that's exactly what my experience was. I mean, I echo what everybody else said. Whatever times in my life, you know, my body didn't show the effects of compulsive overeating, I was still an active compulsive overeater because, you know, it was only an interlude. And um, and and it wasn't even an interlude. It was just the absence of my drug, but no um, treatment for the disease was was evident. Even when I was, even though I've been in this program since 1971, um, I never, I never followed, you know, followed the directions precisely. And, um, you know, it's so funny. I always laugh when I, when I listen, you know, suddenly the thought crossed my mind and then I began to wonder. So, you know, suddenly the thought crossed my mind is not when the problem began. And I began to wonder is also not where the problem occurred. Um, the problem occurs before those thoughts and um, the spiritual awakening, the spiritual awakening that I experienced 
um, that I had, I shouldn't say experiences. For me, it's more accurate to say that I awakened spiritually and then I gained experience day by day, like a job, right? I have a job that a kid out of college couldn't do. You need some experience for it. And, you know, just, just having an awakening isn't enough. You have to do the work. You have to, as others have said, I have to stay in touch with people. I have to improve, you know, this should continue for our lifetime, as it says. You know, our next task is to grow in understanding and effectiveness. If I don't do that, those things, and it continues for my lifetime, then I'm, I'm out of luck. I'm SOL, you know. It says this, you know, in more all the time. And in, in every chapter, it talks about how we start at um, surrender, we move on to spiritual awakening, and then we gain spiritual experience through um, prayer, meditation, working with others, conscious contact with our higher power, etc. And, um, you know, I never got anything out of this program until I was willing to um, to surrender. And I wasn't really willing. There was a violent, you know, do you surrender now, gun to your head. That's what happened to me. And, um, and but once I did, um, I got better. And so, you know, spiritual understanding is not what I needed. I needed spiritual, a spiritual awakening because I'm smart. And I'd read this book and I'd feel uplifted. Who couldn't? Who wouldn't reading this book? It makes you feel so good. But once you put the book down and go about your life, if you don't live what it says, then you're not going to get anywhere. So, you know, self-knowledge, spiritual knowledge, none of that did anything for me until I completely surrendered that I'm a compulsive overeater and my life is unmanageable. I'm powerless over food and my life is unmanageable. Um, I didn't get anywhere. So this second half of step one is as critical or more critical than, than being powerless over food. My life was completely unmanageable without um, Time, Nan- help. Thank you. With that, I'll pass. Okay. Thank you, Nancy P. And let me just remind people that may have um, been, been delayed in getting on. We are on page 40. We read the third paragraph only which begins with, in this frame of mind. And now I'm ready to take more names of people who would like to share. This is Larry Kay. Larry Kay. Good morning, Larry. (coughs) Terry C. Kim G. Kim G. Who was after Kim G? Rachel R. Rachel Terry C. Terry C., I have you. Is it Terry or Perry? Terry with a T is in Thomas. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. I have Larry K., Terry C., Kim G., and Rachel. Amy G. Amy G. All right, let's go with those five people. And I'm going to ask uh, Rachel, when you share, please give me the initial of your last name. And so we're going to start the second group with Larry Kay. Good morning, Larry. Good morning, Penny. Thank you so much for your service. Appreciate it. Larry Kay recovered uh, this morning. You know, the um, I'm reminded, I've heard it said that the point of the first step, you know, frankly, is to convince yourself that your situation is a lot worse than you think it is. And, and that was true for me. So, so as a consequence of that, it's the only step that we have to take 100%. We have to um, 
we have to obviously put the food down to 100%. And, you know, almost, you know, putting it down doesn't cut it. Almost getting sober is, is not going to cut it. And here we see uh, Fred, you know, good day, bad day, it doesn't matter. He was not, I, I would suggest perhaps he was not convinced that his situation was, uh, was, was all that bad. And I wasn't either. For a long time, I thought, you know, because I had begun to lose some weight. You know, diets do work. And I had begun to lose some weight. And I had begun to start to feel a little bit better. My clothes were fitting better. I, 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 I garnered more, you know, confidence. It was all about me. It was all about, um, you know, trying to, to get some relief. And I, I had begun to get some relief. And life seemed to be going a little bit better. It wasn't perfect, but I, I, I came into a way I didn't expect that it would be perfect. Nobody really does. But it got better. And so I was not convinced, you know, at a certain point, at a certain point, no matter what was going on, and I had some good days at times, perhaps you have as well, you know, I wasn't convinced that my situation was that bad. I don't know why. I think that's the nature. It's human nature, but it's also the, the obsession in me was alive and well. The obsession had not been eradicated. It had not been eliminated. So, you know, when that happened for me, and, and, and again, and it happened again and again and again, I mean, how much evidence do I need that the obsession is still there, that I cannot remove the obsession? Fred couldn't remove the obsession. Roland Hazard couldn't move the, uh, remove the obsession. Bill, Dr. Bob, they couldn't remove the obsession. So what makes me think that I can and yet I was convinced that it was. I had never worked the steps. I had never worked the steps abstinently. When I finally um, did that and I got abstinent and I was convinced that my situation was bad and I worked these steps precisely, there was a transformation of some kind. That's what the steps promise. We move from a self-absorbed, me-centered consciousness to a, a God-absorbed, other-centered consciousness. Until that happens, Really, we don't experience a profound, lasting change. I've got to work the steps in order to experience that alignment with God and that profound change. Thanks, Penny. With that, I pass. Thanks, Larry Kay. And next, we're going to have Terry C., and she'll be followed by Kim G. Good morning, Terry C. Good morning, and thank you. Thank you for hearing me. Um, I'm Terry C. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from New Jersey. And when I read, I had no trouble refusing drinks, I am immediately brought back to not a very frequent experience in my disease, but a very occasional experience in my disease where I, who am a compulsive overeater, who um, really you know, followed food, or I should say, allowed food to be my master up into 215 pounds plus, and I'm five one and a half. There were times that I could refuse my binge foods. There were times that very, very infrequently, very infrequently. But here's where my compulsive overeating turned into anorexia, because I can. I can identify with anorexics in that I felt the power by refusing something I knew I wanted so badly. 
Now, when did I do that? Um, there were times I did that because uh, I needed to, and there were times I did it because uh, it just I just was testing myself. It didn't last very long. It might have been maybe for a couple of hours, but I can relate to thinking that I had the power to refuse it. And it just brings me back this morning to in my disease how there was no God, that I played God. Marie alluded to the fact that we needed this power, and I played that power when I was refusing whatever the slab of cake or whatever the case may be. Um, and I'm just, you know, I'm so grateful to be able to look at that today and realize that clearly I am clearly aware that I have no power. I am clearly aware the lack of power is my dilemma. And all the times I refused everything, I thought quite the opposite. And the word that keeps coming to mind is restricting. You know, I can get a high. I got a high several times from restricting. Even though I was well over 200 pounds, you know, I could still restrict like the best of them at certain times. And maybe it was for shame, maybe it was for other reasons, but I tell myself that it was me doing it, just like Fred, I, 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 that, you know, everyone's recognized this morning. So I just want to say I'm so grateful today to be able to look at that and see the insanity of that and know that in those agnostic moments that um, I really still had no power. I just wanted to feel that high. I wanted that fake you know, exhilaration of, you know, ego that comes when I think I'm doing something that clearly um, I'm just really screwed up. So uh, thanks for letting me share and thanks for hearing me this morning. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Terry C. And Kim G., you're up. Good morning, everyone. My name is Kim G., and I've been recovered since 2011. And that, you know, the end of the perfect day. And I'm just going to talk, you know, from my own experience what was very confusing to me when I came into OA is I heard I had a three-fold illness. The big book describes a two-fold illness. And that three-fold illness was a three-legged stool that I had. I was, had a physical, emotional, and spiritual problem. And, you know, the big book doesn't talk about emotions. It talks about we have a physical allergy and a mental twist. And, and what that did when I was told I had an emotional problem was that it made me chase this roller coaster of emotions. And that's why I love Jim versus Fred, because Jim has the worst day and he eats. Fred has the best day and he eats. So I thought that if I could control my emotions and my life circumstances, that's going to make me not want to eat. So I just want to take a little survey. You know, how many of you have eaten when you're sad? How many of you have eaten when you're happy? How many have eaten when you broke up with someone? And how many have you eaten when, you had a, when your relationship is going well? How many have you eaten when you were fired? And how many have eaten when you had a promotion? How many have eaten when you have no money? How many of you have eaten when you have lots of money? If the answer to all those is yes, then emotions, honestly, they become irrelevant. You know, I, I, I was way too caught up in that rabbit hole of going down that, you know, I, I, I got to feel better in order not to eat. You know, I think to myself of step 11, where it says we pause when agitated or doubtful, and we ask for the right thought and action. We don't ask for the right emotion. It's our thought. It's our mental state 
that needs to be um, unblocked from a higher power. But what happens when that, the, the steps treat that mental state? On page 88, to me, I call them the 11-step promises. We are then in much less danger of excitement, fear, anger, worry, self-pity, and foolish decisions. So that's when those emotions get leveled out is when we address the mental state. And excitement is a good emotion. So I am as much at risk as a good emotion as I am with a bad emotion. And I just want to say, I, I, you know, there was a, a share on the meeting um, a couple of days ago that talked about the good shepherd as an analogy for your higher power. And, and I'm a big dog person. So I thought to myself, yeah, I understand that I have to have a relationship with power, with this good shepherd. But my brain is wired differently. I have this mental twist. So what I need is a border collie. A border collie is going to wrangle those sheep together. And my border collie is these 12 steps. The way that I get access to a power, whether I believe in that power or not, is this 12-step work. And I was clear in the big book. I don't have a three-fold illness. I have a two-fold illness, allergy of the body, mental twist. And the solution is spiritual. And with that, I pass. Thank you so much, Kim G. And next we have Rachel, and she'll be followed by Amy G. Good morning, Rachel. Hi, good morning. I'm Rachel G. from um, New York State, compulsive restrictive under-eater. And um, lately I've been thinking about the word... ...bring God back into my life. I... Rachel, Rachel, we're having a hard time following you. I'm sorry. Sorry. Um, I've been using the word begin, B apostrophe, B I N, to bring back, bring that back into my my situation. My main my main problem is is uh, not really so much an eating problem, but an emotional problem of needing God in my life. And last week I remember there's a book called Begin Again Now. So it's not just that we have to bring God in. We have to do it every minute. We have to do 10 steps like all the, every day. We have to bring God in into every, every situation, whatever it is, emotional, physical, spiritual. And we have to do it like this book I read once called Begin Again Now. And um, that's, what I'm, that's the main thing I'm working on. That's the main thing I want to share. May everyone begin. <laughs> have a great, wonderful, and, and um Recovered, recovered day. Thank you, Rachel G. And now Amy G. Good morning. My name is Amy G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Maryland. Thank you for your service. Thank you, everyone, for a wonderful meeting. In this frame of mind, well, what frame of mind are we talking about here? Well, Fred was given some knowledge, and he thinks that with this knowledge and exercising his will, he's going to be on guard. And it sounds like he had a perfect day. One would think it would have been easy to be on guard. And I don't want to ruin this story, but we're headed in a direction here where Fred's going to have a hell of a bender. And it's terrifying because it was a perfect day. And I understand that. I mean, I think some of my scariest binges, I know my scariest binges were not prior to coming to OA. It was when I came to OA and I thought to myself, okay, I, I'm, I know about this program. I admit I'm a compulsive overeater. You know, I think I got this where I tried to exercise my will in OA. And then I found myself myriads of times over and over again, five bites into a binge going, how the hell did I get here? With everything that I knew, with exercising my willpower, 
I mean, yes, Fred sounds a little cocky, cocky here, you know, began to wonder if he'd not been making a simple matter of this. I'm not even sure I was even that cocky about it. I just assumed. I mean, it never occurred to me that I couldn't use my willpower and my knowledge to conquer my compulsive overeating once I understood the nature of my disease. But knowledge only gets me so far. And I think it bears repeating the prior page on page 39 in italics where it says, Hardly with an exception, we will, be, we will be absolutely unable to stop drinking on the basis of self-knowledge. This is a point we wish to emphasize and reemphasize to smash home upon our alcoholic readers as it has been revealed to us out of bitter experience. And my bitter experience is something that I needed to go through in a way to understand that I can't fix myself because of this mental twist, because of this physical allergy, that knowledge would only get me so far. And that I needed to exercise my will, yes, but I needed to exercise my will along the lines of working the 12 steps because of myself alone, I would not be able to fix myself. A sick mind cannot heal a sick mind. And I needed to be able to surrender first and then work this program. As they say, it's not a program for people who know it, who understand it. It's for for people that are willing to do it. And when I finally surrendered, and I'll be honest with you, it was not something great that I did. It was because this disease beaten and pummeled me to a pulp. I failed every single time I tried to control this disease on my own. It talks about it in step one. John Barleycorn, or our case, Sarah Lee, or whatever else, my binge foods, were my best advocate because every time I tried, I failed. And this disease was killing me. And when I finally surrendered to knowing that I could not heal myself, that this program began to work for me, and I began to work this program. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Amy G. And I'm going to take three more names, and if we have more time after that, we'll come come back for more. Who else would like to share? Three more people. Lisa J. Lisa J. Hannah L. And who else? K. What is it, K? K K okay, <laughs> and and who was uh, last initial L? Somebody with the last initial. Hannah L. Hannah L. Okay, all right. So we have Lisa J, Anna L, and K K, and we'll start with Lisa J. Good morning, Lisa. Good morning. This is Lisa J. Gratefully recovered for this 24 hours. I just appreciate so much your service and all the shares so far. The same thing popped out at me in this frame of mind. And, um, you know, my disease tries to tell me, well, do you really have to work that hard? And people even say, do you really have to work that hard? You know, I don't think you're a compulsive overeater. And thank you for your opinion, but nobody knows how I eat when I'm alone. And I can do really well in front of other people and making them think I am what I want to look like I am. But only I know what it looks like when everybody's gone from the party and, you know, the table scraps are left. And 
I know what I do with them and I know how I feel about food and I know what happens when I wake up the next morning and threw something in the trash that I've been thinking about all night or wake up in the middle of the night. And so I, I have to remember that I have to work this hard because I want this recovery. And, you know, thank God that I was at the desperation point where I was willing to go to any length and I had to work that hard. And, you know, it's easy to forget sometimes when life is going good that I have to protect myself. And so I have to be reminded. So I call into these meetings and I go to meetings and I connect with my higher power and I evaluate my behavior. And if I don't do that on a regular level, on a regular basis, my frame of mind gets distorted really quickly. It can even be that way when I wake up untreated in the morning. You know, I have to make sure that I protect my frame of mind so that I'm acting from a spiritual nature instead of my natural nature, which is usually my first instinct or my first impulse. You know, if I pause and invite God into that moment, I make a much better decision. I make a much better statement. And I have that mental defense required to not take that first bite when I invite God into that moment. So I keep coming back. Thank you. Pass. Thank you, Lisa J. And is it Hannah L.? Hi, yes it is. This is Hannah L., compulsive overeater from Pennsylvania. Thank you all for your shares this morning. Honestly, it's just what I needed to hear. Um, I've been on vacation for a while, so it's nice to be back on the line. Um, But this paragraph this morning, I could really relate to it. And even with Fred, you know, like just, you know, having a perfect day and everything, like when I am like that, when I'm having a perfect day, you know, although I may be able to control some things, not all, and, and manipulate things to how I want them to be, I will still eat anyway. That is just how I'm wired. Um, And I think that when things are going easy, I don't need God, but that is not the case. I need my higher power all the time to keep me centered because I cannot control things myself. Self-will run riot is, is hardly a success for me. And, you know, I just need to, in my program today, just to keep working it harder than the day before because my disease is a mad dog. It is very convincing. It is dishonest and and crazy and it tries to knock me off, but no, because I'm going to put in the work to get the results, to get that serenity, that peace, and and just to be in a recovered state because my worst day recovered is better than my worst day in the food and, you know, being clear, not having that mental fog and being able to really tap into my emotions. Um, this program is just amazing. It may be a lot of work and, and challenging at times, but it has taught me so much. And thank you all for letting me share in my past. Thank you, Hannah L. And now we have Kay. Kay? Good morning, Kay. Kay, if you are speaking, we're not hearing you. Press star one. Can you hear me now? 
Yes, very good. Thank you. Hi, Penny. It's Kay from Massachusetts. I was thinking about the first time I came into program, and um, I was very successful with losing the weight. And I remember I was with my husband and some family members and having a beautiful day. And at the end of the day, I got the idea that, you know, perhaps I could handle my binge foods in moderation. And needless to say, that was the beginning of a four-year relapse where, excuse me, I could never get back on track again. And I actually had to um, come to the point where um, I had to find the courage to come back to the program. And what would everyone say when they saw me? And it was all about me, all about I. You know, what were people going to think about me? I came back to the program kicking and screaming and angry, very, very angry and resentful that after all, um, couldn't I just have this one thing in life to make the tough times bearable or to make the good times bearable? Um, Not bearable, but more enjoyable. So I identify with this paragraph, and I'm going to pass because um, I'm nervous. Thank you for your service, Penny. Thank you, Kay. Thank you for coming on. And so we have time for one more person. Who would like to be our last sharer? Robin L. Tell me your first name again, please. Robin. Robin L. Go ahead, Robin. Hi, uh, I'm gratefully recovered compulsive overeater in North Carolina. Thank you so much for your service. Um, I'm thinking about this um, belief that he, that Fred has, that he can tell when it's a perfect day um, or when he feels fine um, or whether his problems are pressing. I, um, the longer I work this, the more skeptical I become of my own assessment of whether things are good or not good. And uh, I think because I'm running it through this faulty filter of my mind, I cannot always tell whether there's some kind of problem brewing or whether it's a great day or a not great day. I think it's much easier for me to to set aside my own view of whether I'm doing well or not and um, and always turn that over to God and to another uh, recovering compulsive overeater so that I, uh, I, hear, I hear from those people who can see things that I can't hear, whether, whether it really is a good day and whether there really is something brewing, because I can't always tell. Um, thanks for your service, Penny, and with that, I pass. Thank you, Robin L. And so we're going to um, end with, with uh, that share. And thank everyone who has shared today and every, all the people who um, volunteered to read um, and the people who are going to welcome newcomers and host the second hour. Please join us for that unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing of this meeting. The share ID for today, Tuesday, July 16th, is... 13,157. 
We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164 and uh, followed by the serenity prayer. And I'm going to ask Matthew F. to read that page for us. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Our book is our mo- our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we only we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road to happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.